Today's sponsor of the SHI podcast is Carter Young. For those of you who may not know about Carter Young, which I can only assume you are brand new to student housing or you've been living under a dorm for the past 20 years, Carter Young is a debt recovery firm based in Georgia who has been specializing in debt recovery related to college students for over two decades. They even operate their call center out of Athens, Georgia, because they wanted to employ people who understand the student journey in order to give them a better chance of collecting from your student residents who end up owing you a balance after they move out. They also provide training programs to your on-site staff and review your operating methods to make sure everything is being done to prevent bad debt from happening. Now, how many debt recovery services do that? If you're not using Carter Young, I can guarantee you're leaving money on the table. Visit them at carter-young.com or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me is co-host Greta Dare. Like, I'm really, are you all right? Are you wearing a mask? Are you, are you okay? I'm really glad that we're not in the studio together because you need to go into quarantine. This is, this is concerning. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happened. I, uh, <laughs> I did, I did have a coughing spell this morning. It had nothing to do with Corona, but, um, mm, was it dry or wet? It, do you have any heaviness of the chest? And did you check well, for a fever? <laughs> I was choking on my pancake this morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's actually not one of the listed symptoms. Um, choking on pancakes, actually. So but, fair, fair. But it, it did turn into a little bit of a violent cough, and uh, I think uh, <clears throat> I think it's just um, stayed with me the rest of the day. So yeah, pancakes will um, do that. You know, never mind. I'm not going to make that comment. <laughs> yeah, I think we probably should stop it right there. Yeah. What have you been up to? It's been a minute. Oh, you know, just staying busy with all of the <laughs> trying to continue with business and help help everybody in uh, in our in our incredible industry while also keeping track of all of the the happenings in the world because there are so so many. <laughs> there are there are. It's been crazy. It's been it's been a minute since we posted a podcast. Oh my gosh, um, I know. But we did just we just finished up the uh, the last sessions with our two webinar series that we launched at the beginning of May. So it's been a it's been a crazy eight weeks just getting all of that content together because it was every Wednesday and then every other Thursday. That was ambitious. And you it, put it, out so much. I did, and um, and it's still and unfortunately it's all on YouTube. Uh, I shouldn't say unfortunately. If you if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you got to go do it. But it was just easier to to quickly because I don't get into all the fun, you know, editing that I do with, <laughs> with this. Just because honestly, I just it, it takes too much time. So I'm just it's, it's pretty raw. I don't put any I just don't put any editing into it. Just a you know quick sound intro, outro, and you know and, and clip you know some unnecessary things, but. So yeah, it's all on YouTube and it, it will be used for a lot of podcasts that we'll be doing this summer. But if you want to get up to date on it, because it is called preparing for fall 2020, 
and uh and so there's some pretty timely stuff in there so if you haven't seen it if you did not um maybe you were registered and didn't get all get to all the webinars make sure that you make sure that you go to the youtube channel and check all that out but yeah we <laughs> the last podcast was actually of um our keynote speaker for that thursday uh, series which was uh, Brian Alexander from Georgetown University and uh yeah when we today we're going to be going over the last session in that webinar which had very little to do with covid um and had everything to do with what's been you know kind of the awakening of this country in, in the past you know 4 or 5 weeks as it relates to the, the killing of, of George Floyd and police brutality kind of across this country. And um, yeah, I don't know if it's so much awakening as has been just a wrestling with ourselves over it. No, I think they both work. Certainly, uh, yeah, I think certainly there's been an, an awakening, but I can tell you that there's also been a, a wrestling with just how do we, how do we overcome come this? How do we, make the situation better. And, um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that in just, in just a second, but, uh, yeah, Greta catch, catch us up. So fetch marketing is, is up and going. And, um, I know you're doing some work with Euphorus, who's one of our great sponsors here. If you're needing a 3d rendering or a 3d scan tour, make sure that you go talk to the guys at, at Euphorus. They are but, the uh, most talented, incredible humans that you could possibly, possibly work with. My God. But <laughs> yes. And you got some light protesting in yourself. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I, 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 I stay did. away from that if you want me to. No, it's fine. It's fine. You know, I'll be honest. I'm not going to call it light. <laughs> um, <laughs> We did. We, uh, I went out twice and or two different times and they were two very different experiences. And, you know, because here in Charlotte, it's, you know, there's, there's been a lot going on in and of itself, just in our city. And so, yes, yes, I did. And they were both incredible experiences and I'm glad that I did it. And I was very happy to be a part of it because this is something that I, I feel very strongly about. So yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was glad you were able to as well. Um, cause I think it provides a unique experience and, um, you know, with having, uh, as I mentioned to you, having four kids, uh, you know, my wife and I feel very passionately about this subject, but, yeah. you know, at the same time, we're the one, you can't get a babysitter right now. <laughs> no, and that's, it's that way for a lot of families though. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, um, we did my, my wife and I, uh, she took me to, um, Charleston for father's day and on the way out because it was the. Uh, five-year anniversary of the uh, Mother Emanuel AME church shootings, um, referred to as the Emanuel Non. But anyway, um, so I wanted I wanted to just you know drop by and and you know see. I mean, I've seen the church several times before, but just wanted to just to go by and kind of I guess lament on it for a second. And there was actually a, a unity march that had started at the marina and had made its way there and you know and this was on father's day so to to be able to get 
you know, people out to march on Father's Day, I think, you know, says a lot. And yeah. So, yeah, we pulled in the church parking lot and got out and got to listen to a lot of the family members from from that tragedy, um, as well as some previous ones. And it's um, it was good. It was good to it was good to to hear those stories, see how that community is rebounding. And uh, and and that's, you know, that's why I say it's 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 a little bit of a it's a little bit of a wrestling match and, and an awakening because. That there, I think a lot of things that I even, you know, didn't think about before that uh, it's like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I could kind of see how that's an issue and how we need to address it. So, I think that's one of been one of the biggest things that I I have loved the most about this entire, I mean, not the most, probably, you know, the only silver lining, I would probably rephrase it to say, um, has been the the learning you know that we've all gone through that everybody has gone through the not just all of the historical learnings that have come out of it because you see i mean all across social media i mean you know like you follow my instagram where i'm just like you know like here the tulsa massacre that like how many people don't know about right or just like so many things that all of a sudden it's like people are pushing out and saying look learn about these things and people saying, please read these books, understand these experiences, understand these perspectives. And like everybody realizing that understanding is the best decision that all of us can make. And that's why I loved your term, the awakening, because we are awakening to each other's experiences. And there is not a higher calling that we can really kind of ask of ourselves is to understand and empathize and come to each other and say, how can I better understand you and your experience? And that's on on everything. That is the best thing that we could ever do for each other. How can I better understand you? And that is, there's nothing better we can do for each other. And that is an awakening for us as humans. So no, I love that. That's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we're going to get into the interview of that last session from the, from the webinar series. And that, that's really why I wanted to create that and, and ask those specific guests to come on, to come on board and, and start this discussion because, you know, especially over the past three weeks, I think, you know, as a, as an industry, and I'm going to lump everything, you know, as far as higher education is concerned into it. Um, we have, we have had conversations, you know, with our staff members. We've had conversations with, you know, intentional conversations, um, uh, not just with staff members, but also with with other companies that we do business with. Um, certainly within our own families, and and that's been that's been fantastic. But now to reel back to the, the you know the, the whole thing of you know our, our careers and the point of this podcast when we start talking about college students and I've been saying from the beginning with, with COVID that there are some very eerie similarities to the way, you know, government is acting, the way the media is portraying things or, or reflecting things. However you mm. want to look at it is very similar to 1968. 1968 was an election year. It was also a year that, that we had, we did have the Olympics that they weren't canceled, but we had, uh, we also had uh, that April, we had 
First of all, we'll start. We'll just go through a timeline really quick. But in March, we had the Orangeburg, South Carolina massacre um, at at South Carolina State, where there was probably two hundred students that were protesting, uh, you know, segregation at a at a local bowling alley, and it ended up with you know three students being killed by the cops there. And then you've got, of course, you know, the assassination of of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in April of that year. Um, you've got RFK being killed in, in I think, June of that year. Mm-hmm. And then and then you've got, you know, the uh, the Olympics that year, you know, where that, that's the stage in Mexico City where, I'm sorry, the, the two names of the athletes are escaping me at the moment, Tommy. And anyway, that's where, you know, you've got the the – Black power fist, you know, being raised in the in the air. So, and then you know, you get into to November and and the elections, and, and I didn't even mention the riots that happened in Chicago from uh, from the Democratic National Convention. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got all those, a lot of those same recipes. You know, the big thing then was outside of civil rights was also the anti-war movement, mm-hmm. which I, I don't want to compare COVID to to the Vietnam war by any stretch of the imagination. But that was one of the things that was the most polarizing of of 1968. And, you know, what, who was going to be elected that was going to be able to, to end the war. And yeah, I I think, I think a lot of those same similarities when you talk about COVID and who's, you know, who's to blame for it. Right. I mean, that's what the media wants to make it out to, to be. You've got a recipe for some of the same things. And, you know, what happened, you know, started in Columbia with at at Columbia University in New York, where you've got uh, and for anybody that doesn't know, just Google it, you know, Columbia University, 1968 protest. But there was this protest after protest after protest. and, And one of them, you know, was students taking faculty members hostage for, you know, 24 hours. Um, and then, you know, in 1969, it was just, there, there's very few universities that you'll find that did not have some type of, um, you know, doesn't have some type of history with, um, with a protest that happened, you know, on, on their campus during that year. So I think we, you know, my, what I, what I'm, you know, as a, as a student housing professional and I put my uh, you know, think about me being back on site or me being in a, in a chief operating officer role again and realizing that, okay, this is something that students are going to be deal- dealing with. It's front of mind for everybody. And it requires a discussion. And if, if student affairs professionals and student housing professionals, both on campus, off campus, are not preparing their staff members to, on how to correctly program and communicate and mediate <laughs> issues, you know, those, those types of things are, are bound to repeat themselves. It's okay. So it's so incredible because first off, everything that you just said, a whole conversation that I had with my mom, because it really was just a, it's really understanding how much everything is repeating itself. And then also understanding how much easier it is to keep track of really what's going on because of the beauty of cell phones and social media, et cetera. Um, But 
yes, this is, this could not be a more important time to prepare and educate our teams. This was not just a, and it's not to demean anybody and say, oh, you know, we just did this, you know, this one post or these one couple of weeks post and nobody was intentional. Like I would never, ever say that because I know everybody's working towards this, but you know, I know that you've received phone calls. I've received phone calls. We've talked to people that we're close to and we're friends with throughout the industry on the res life side, on the marketing side, leasing side, operation side, where everybody is still kind of struggling to figure out how to best focus on the diversity and inclusivity on our teams and then also move forward with it for when the students come back because there is this is not slowing down it's not going anywhere and thank god for that but what does that mean exactly when everybody comes back and how is it properly addressed when you do have students that are paired up and you don't have people that are sensitive or what happens when you have people on your leasing teams that aren't or when you have maintenance team members or property managers or and how are we best educating our teams to the best of our abilities to make sure that this doesn't happen? Are we doing everything that we can for ourselves and for everyone to take care of the students like we say is our number one top priority to do? Because I will go ahead and say it right now. It is never mattered more than it does this year in our industry. Well, and and I think we got, uh, you know, the the two best people to to talk about this with. Oh my gosh, seriously, you chose the best, the best speakers for this webinar. Like the hands down, this was incredible to listen to and watch. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks. I mean, it's not, I mean, honestly, it's more divine intervention than anything else. and I, and I do believe in that, but, and so one Greta and I know very well, cause we both worked with him, um, before he was even a general manager, which is Terrence Jackson, who, um, is now with Pierce education properties as the executive director for Casey Cove in Columbia, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, him and I have just, uh, we kind of had a lot of the same seasons in life. Like, my wife was pregnant when it, well, my wife was pregnant throughout a, a long period of time of knowing Terrence because I have four children, but um, his wife was pregnant. My wife was pregnant at the same time, a couple of times. And uh, so <laughs> we kind of went through that journey um, uh, together. And uh, that's, um, that's been, uh, that's been fun. That's, that's allowed for us to have some discussions Terrence and I are actually in the process of, of starting another podcast um, specifically on um, uh, race and diversity and looking forward to that. I don't know when it'll come out. and Because um, you have all the time uh, in the world for these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're being very intentional and, you know, coming out with core values, mission statements and, and all yeah. of that because we want that to really direct the topic and the conversation. And so, uh, so it'll be a little bit different and we'll certainly rely on our, on our faith journeys as well with that. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's something of interest to you. You will uh, tune in and um, I probably won't advertise a lot on this one, but uh, on this podcast, but you can, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram and I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be there. So, 
But but no. And then on the other side of that, we had a gentleman that I just met uh, a few weeks ago, Quan McLaurin, uh, who was the who was a previous student at Liberty University. Um, he also worked there for six or seven years, um, most recently as their director of diversity retention. And if um, if those of you that don't know anything about Liberty University, it's it's based in Virginia. It was started in 1971 by uh, Pastor Jerry Falwell, and um, uh, which, if you know anything about that name, someone that was pretty much in the in the political scene from a conservative standpoint, and um, his his son has taken over as president of that university, and he just made some really. It, it has to do with the Virginia governor and the. The whole thing with his medical yearbook, he was in uh, part of a fraternity thing or something. I can't remember, but he was in blackface. And if you remember a lot, you know, he was a Democratic governor and he got a lot of flack over that. And that has turned into a a thing between Jerry Falwell Jr. and and this guy. And it ended up in a tweet that I'm not going to repeat. You can go out and take a look at it. And. Uh, he did end up apologizing to it once he realized how many people you know, had been hurt. Um, I've seen the interview for for that too, and I'm just all I've got to say is there, there are a lot of issues at, at Liberty University when it comes to race relations, and um, and I wish it was just Liberty. It, it's it doesn't stop with Liberty. Uh, I mentioned in this discussion that uh, UNC Wilmington's got someone own faculty that that they're having a lot of issues with and this this plays out over and over again throughout the country and um it, it's just it, it's these things that i'm worried about happening this fall it's gonna these are the type of things that are going to end up igniting it but anyway long story short uh with with Quan, he ended up actually resigning from his position um because he just simply said he there's no way he can recruit people of color to university when the leadership has obviously so many things that they've got to overcome um, as it it comes to both diversity and inclusion. So, um, but he's moving on. He he has not been hired yet. He did tell me that um, (laughs) the first time we talked was he said, uh, yeah, I really, he said, you know, a lot of it was just kind of righteous anger and I, I'm not ashamed or, or upset about what I did, but then I realized I stopped here in the middle of, you know, certainly a recession <laughs> and maybe even a depression. <laughs> um, he, uh, and then the other thing was that there were so many other, you know, people of color that were part of staff and faculty that reached out to him and said, I'm so glad you did what you did. I stand with you. I would leave myself if, you know, if it wasn't for the fact I've got a family to feed and, yeah. you know, I've got I've got income. And so he actually set up what's called the LU Underground Railroad. And uh, last I checked, I think they're up to over eighteen thousand dollars that they've raised to, you know, basically help these these professors and staff administration to that want to leave, you know, give them some type of. Uh, some type of living expenses for a little while until, you know, they can get, they can find employment. So I love that. 
I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you want to go find out more info about it, um, I will put a link to it in the, uh, certainly in the show notes. Um, so yeah, Quan agreed to come on and I mean, he's just, he's got so many great ideas on how student affairs as well as, as well as student housing managers can put together their programming and their, and just their overall communication on, on this topic. And so there's a lot, a lot here to unpack and, and, and gain from it. So with that being said, let's go ahead and, um, and push play. And I think you've got a couple of takeaways you want to talk about afterwards. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, um, this is the the last session uh, of this series. And um, I, I've got to say, as we moved into lockdown uh, in March, and I started asking myself, you know, how can AC... ACH, <laughs> how can Student Housing Insight, SHI, how can, can we help the industry through this? And this webinar series, Planning for Fall 2020, was really born out of, out of that reflection, that self-reflection. And I started working on this tagline that you see on the slide here, and the following statement just kind of captured everything I wanted to touch on, which is serving students, employees, communities in an atmosphere of uncertainty. When I wrote that, I was, I was only thinking about helping our industry navigate a pandemic, if that's not enough. But uh, while social justice issues have, have been important to myself and, and I believe to our industry in general, I did not think we would be including topics on diversity and inclusion in this series. Um, however, in a wake of current events that were sparked from uh, the recent deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Albery, I started thinking about our students and what will be on their minds this fall as they return to campus. I realized then this is a topic that our, our industry needs to be discussing and preparing for. Uh, these issues, uh, they'll be front and center of our residents' minds this fall as they return to campus and, and begin readjusting. You pile on the continued frustrations and limitations related to the pandemic and, of course, the uh, politically charged atmosphere going into the November elections. Uh, student housing providers need to be ready. And um, you may say, West, you know, we're just providing housing. What do we need to be prepared for? Well, if you call yourself a student housing provider, I would be thinking about some of the following. How might roommate and neighbor interactions be impacted? What kind of programming and communication can be made to encourage students to focus on activities like voting and community involvement versus misguided events that could put students in danger and, and even property at risk? I wanted to invite two people to speak with me on these topics. Uh, both people I consider dear friends. One of them I've known for eight years. He's been a coworker, and we've gone through some pretty difficult things together that allow us to talk very openly and honestly uh, with each other about, about race. The other guest is someone that I, I first came in contact with um, just a couple of weeks ago. And in just a few conversations we've had, He's made me think about things related to 
diversity and inclusion that I've never even considered. Um, the first is Terrence Jackson. Terrence is an executive director for Pierce Education Properties at their Casey Cove community in Columbia, South Carolina. And big shout out, Terrence, to you and your team for reaching 100% for the second year in a row. Um, I believe it's the second year in a row, correct? That is correct, Wes. That is correct. <laughs> We're going for the three-peat. <laughs> <laughs> and the second is Quan McLaurin. Um, Quan is the former director of diversity retention at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I say former because Quan recently resigned from his position as um, a form of protest due to the lack of action that the university's leadership has made regarding diversity and inclusion issues. Um, combined with the leadership's recent public comments that were the source of a lot of pain and frustration with the university's students and staff and, and faculty who are also people of color. In his own words, and let me uh, pull this up to read it, in his own words from his resignation letter, my decision to resign lies in the, <clears throat> lies in the conflict of my job description and basic ex expectations of a higher education diversity professional and the reality of inaction and suppression of tangible support for our minority student population. Quan's resignation has not only garnered media attention, but sparked a string of resignations of other staff members of color in order to provide financial help to many of the staff members who are resigning due to these moral conflicts. Quan has established the LU Underground Railroad Fund. In addition to staff leaving earlier this week, um, or in addition to the staff leaving um, Earlier this week, three Liberty University football players and a Liberty University women's basketball player have announced their intentions to transfer due to another incident of a professor being uh, recorded uh, of making racially insensitive comments to students in a classroom. I honestly wish this was just a liberty issue. They're not the only university dealing with these types of issues with, with leadership and faculty. UNC Wilmington, uh, in my home state, is currently embattled with one of their criminal justice professors, Mike Adams, after he tweeted a comment at the North Carolina governor comparing the state's recent COVID-19 stay-at-home measures to slavery. I'm not going to get into to all that. You can certainly go and Google it if you're not familiar with it. But in this final session of our last installment, I want to spend some time with, with Terrence and Quan to have them share their insights on how we can prepare ourselves to listen to our students this coming year. Uh, this is not something that uh, has never happened before as far as the state of affairs in, in this country. Uh, if you go back and look at 1968, which was also an election year, uh, was also uh, the same year uh, in that spring that Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. I mean, RFK was um, assassinated after the California uh, primary, I believe it was California primaries. And if you go in and uh, obviously you'll, you'll see things like the Orangeburg massacre in Orangeburg, South Carolina, where three students were, were killed in that spring for after a protest for segregation at a bowling alley. And you can also go and, and see kind of a, uh, an uptick in, in sit-ins, which had, you know, actually started in 1960 
in North Carolina. Those began again. And, and then you go into 1969 and you look at the number of protests that happened, not just on Columbia University. Those actually began in 68 as well, where they even took, you know, faculty members hostage over the situation with the protests there. So I think it really behooves us as student housing managers to, to really think about that because, of course, you can go to and Google any university in 1969 protest and just start taking notes because that's exactly what started to happen. There's not, there's not a college campus, um, very few college campuses uh, in 1969 that did not have a string of protests that happened. So because of that, I feel like it's, it's something that we need to be talking about. So Quan, Terrence, welcome. Thanks Wes for having us. So Quan, you've been hearing from students who feel like they are being ignored and even mistreated by university administrators. Those university administrators would not listen to your advice, but you have a group of student housing officers and operators across the country and around the globe that are listening and watching this. What advice do you have for them? Yeah. Um, well, again, thank you so much for allowing Terrence and I to uh, join your platform and to be able to speak. The, I guess the most tangible piece of advice that I would give um, just starting out is to come from a place of understanding. Um, we have all come from an unprecedented experience um, for at least our generation um, that we are, we are catering to uh, Gen Z and emergent uh, generations. And uh, there's been a pandemic where we have shut everyone, shut everything down, shut everyone into their homes. And then uh, we have, these examples um, and, and clear incidents of, you know, just the racial trauma that Black people experience within our nation um, put on loop on these media platforms over and over and over again. And the nation is coming to a place where all at once we are reckoning with the plight of black people and people of color and it's at the forefront of our nation stage. So come with, I would say, um, an understanding that the students coming to campus this fall are tired and they are exhausted. And they, like this is probably going to be one of the hardest starts to a semester that they have ever or will ever experience. Um, I would also like to add on to that, Quan, is that um, I think that we also have to come with a certain level of uh, sensitivity. And um, I know that in my experiences, um, when interacting with a resident or even a parent, having to take a step back and realize, okay, let me try to figure out what is really happening here. Where are they really coming from? And when you have a resident that may storm into your clubhouse and they may storm into your office, I've had many of those experiences. Um, <laughs> but understanding that, okay, I wonder what's really happening and I, I wonder what's really going on with this particular student um, at one o'clock or 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. 
did they just have a bad grade or are they having stress and anxiety because of what's taking place um, from their homes? And so I think that upcoming and even now, um, you know, practicing for what's happening is that we should all just practice taking a step back first. We should all practice on just taking an inhale and an exhale and then also listening, I think, is the most important tool that we can um, offer um, upcoming for the fall to add on to what Quan is saying is that we should be sensitive and we should just open up um, our listening portals and really listening and understanding to, okay, what's happening here? What are they actually saying? What are they actually feeling? Um, So that I know how to um, focus in on, um, you know, on their needs. Um, how to offer them the help that they're actually asking for, but not asking um, directly because you're right, Quan, they are coming very tired. Um, you know, you have a lot of students that will be out protesting. They've been watching social media. They've been watching TikTok videos. They've been watching YouTube videos and coming and driving that energy and then moving in and interacting with, um, you know, someone um, that may not offer the same viewpoint <laughs> that they have <laughs> right and you don't <laughs> yeah. know what other outlets they have available to them once they come to campus because again we're removing students from the support system that they just had at home we're placing them you know back within their collegiate communities and they're having to reacclimate and learn how to deal with this almost like all over again well, and, and don't forget the freshmen, you know, uh, oh, man. you know, they've, it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I hate saying they've been robbed of so much because I mean, we, as bad as things are, we still live in America and you know, what, um, you know, what a fresh, <laughs> what a, what a graduating senior has had to go through this year, um, you know, compares to, to nothing that you see in other parts of, of the world. Um, where just getting, you know, water is, is a big struggle. So, um, so I hate to say that they've been, they've been robbed of a lot, but um, certainly that's going to have, you know, an impact on things and they're being thrown into, you know, into a world that of young adults that, you know, have, have maybe dealt with some of this on their own um, away from parents for the past couple of couple of years that you know try to you know may try to influence them one way or another that and they may get lost in a lot of that but you know outside of outside of you know the the freshmen coming back I I really because the audiences are here are housing operators I wanted to really talk with you guys about you know preparing and training the staff. I don't know that there's ever that there's a training manual for any of this, but uh, Terrence, you've been you know when when you and I first met, you were at a uh, pretty prominent HBCU, and there were uh, a lot of things related to the conversation. You know, and it wasn't a it wasn't an all white. Uh, or excuse me, an all, an all black staff. We had, you know, white members on that staff as well. And I remember hearing you have some conversations of, yeah, you probably shouldn't give that look or you shouldn't give that, that hesitation, things I never even thought about. 
And so, you know, I wanted to, to kind of put that, you know, to, to you and Quan, what, what kind of conversations um, should we be having with our staff right now in preparing them for, um, for students coming back and, and the emotions that they're going to be having? I would definitely have everyone ask the question, you know, what do my policies look like? What programming am I planning for the fall? Is it tone deaf in light of everything that's happening? I know we like to plan, you know, far in advance, but should I maybe retool some of this? What does the staff makeup look like at my company? When the students arrive here, do they see themselves represented in their environment? How can I better improve that? And I would say even deeper, we need to always be looking at what professional development opportunities can be, can be provided to your staff to increase their understandings of the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. Um, it's just so important, I think, especially with access. A lot of times we go to the bare minimum ADA requirements and we have to really start thinking about what can we, what, what can we really do? You know, what can we do beyond the, the bare minimum? Looking at equity and inclusion and, and really the inclusion aspect, the enrichment of their environment and making sure that it's welcoming. And, and lastly, do we have any company policies that may unintentionally cause harm to already marginalized communities? Do they exist? Can we take a look at, you know, what we have on the books already and what can we do to maybe retool them or make them better? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, communicating with our team members, I know as a property manager, it's very important for me to um, either start the day or to start the week off by bringing all of my managers together and then, you know, throughout the week, uh, you know, like meeting with each one of my team members to, you know, either set those expectations or, um, you know, to understand what their needs are for the day or for that week. And I think opening up that conversation, of course, within, um, you know, our HR um, like bounds, but reviewing those, um, you know, those policies and asking the questions, um, you know, those tough questions as far as what policies would you like to see? do you believe that the policies that we have, you know, are fair? Are they right? And being, um, I guess, not afraid and unashamed to, you know, kind of speak into that and allow for, you know, the people that we manage and the people that we kind of supervise to, you know, have those conversations with us. And, you know, I have an open door policy and, you know, I've always believed in that. I will rarely, you know, shut my door unless it's, you know, something as far as a private conversation or a conference call that I don't necessarily want the office, you know, like to really be a part of because of noise in the background, but just allowing for, you know, my team members to, you know, feel as if, okay, I can come to Terrence, I can, you know, I can speak with him and I can let him know um, how I'm feeling, you know, if it's a mental health day, if it's, you know what, like, I'm just going through so much, um, you know, allowing them to express, um, you know, what's happening, because at the end of the day, we're humans. And, and yes, we're employees. And, you know, like, we are working for an organization. But after six o'clock, after five o'clock, or after seven o'clock, and even before nine o'clock in the morning, or eight in the morning, you know, they have lives, they have, um, you know, things that are on their minds and things that are in their hearts that we also have to, um, you know, lean in towards and, 
you know, the training and the background that I come from, you know, I come from a student affairs residence life uh, background where, you know, we were trained to, you know, make sure that we lean into that professional development. We lean into, um, you know, that educational moment and, and understanding that everything that we interact with, everything that we experience can be an educational moment. And it's our responsibility as student affairs professionals, um, you know, to make sure that we put that educational moment in front of our students, in front of our residents, um, and that we reinforce that uh, because we are pretty much preparing them for, you know, society after they graduate from college, after they leave um, our communities, you know, they're going to another community. Uh, they may, you know, like be a mother or a father or, um, you know, they may work for um, a particular boss or, you know, like have a particular, um, you know, like coworker. And so, teaching them how to communicate, teaching them how to um, understand and handle conflict are very important um, like tools that, um, you know, I've, I've been trained to prepare them on. And so just because I'm considered an off-campus um, operator doesn't necessarily mean that I turn that off. Um, right. I have taken all of those tools and all of those experiences and I kind of, you know, shape those depending on the markets that I'm in because each market is different. You're right the HBCU in Greensboro was a completely different market from uh, the market that I ended up transitioning into, um, you know, while out in Kentucky and now being back in South Carolina, you know, like where I was born and raised and then being, you know, in Columbia where, you know, you've got the flagship university, it's a completely different market. And so taking all of those experiences and being able to, you know, shape those for, your specific community, I think is also very important for managers to know the demographic of their community and really kind of catch the heartbeat of who their residents are, which of course, Wes, you know, I mean, you used to train me and say, look, you need to know your residents by name. Do you know who they are? And Absolutely. I'm really understanding what that means now is because you have to catch the temperament of the people that you serve and you're serving them. I don't just say, hey, it's the first of the month, your rent is due, and then that's it. You know, like we're all people here and these are people that you're serving, you know, day in and day out for at least 12 months. And, you know, like they become a part of like your community, like your family, you know, you see them on a daily, you see them catching the shuttle, you know, you see them coming in to work out, you see them going to the computer lab, you share certain conversations with them. And so, you know, getting on that level of a relationship is important, um, you know, to lean into that trust to be able to have those conversations and, you know, understanding, okay, are we really being inclusive in our communities? It really is about conversations. And mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, Quan, I like what you said about, you know, company policies. I think even, you know, one suggestion, suggestion I would certainly give um, to, to any of the property managers is, you know, looking over your community policies. Um, you know, they're, they're typically, you know, pretty boilerplate for the most part, especially if you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, work for, you know, one of the top national uh, housing providers, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty sterile, right? But um, it, it is a good time to, to go back and take a look at that and, and say, hey, is there, is there something here that, you know, that, that may need to be tweaked, you know, for, for sure. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, planning events. 
Terrence, you, you've done, I've seen you do some pretty amazing things with, with resident events to, to get everybody to come out and really have a good time. And, and that ends up, you know, pouring into the, the resident retention, you know, moving into subsequent years. And we've already been hit overside the head with this COVID thing and, you know, having to do all these virtual events and, and, you know, limiting the size of, of some of the in-person events. Um, hey, any suggestions that you guys have on, because uh, Quan, you, you've got a, it's all the portfolio that, you know, you put on LinkedIn of, um, you know, some events that you've done and, um, you know, they, they look fantastic. Um, but I'm, I'm also sitting there looking at it and saying, yeah, there's no way that's happening this year without everybody wearing masks and <laughs> everything else is, have you guys, have you guys thought about that and what, what suggestions would you give to, uh, to your colleagues? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you, you know, brought up programming. I think it's so important. You're right. It's, it's part of the heartbeat of the community. That's, some of the bread and butter of what I love to do to be able to connect with our students. And, and that's when you're able to get um, more genuine interactions with them. So I, I get excited about that. Some of the, some of the things that, that I was thinking about specifically for, for this community is something that is simple that can still be carried out um, throughout this, you know, COVID pandemic is think about starting a, a book club um, where you dive into different types of, um, of literature that is both interesting and intriguing, but relevant and helps to exp um, expand people's worldviews. And then for those who may not want to read books, look into um, deliberative dialogues. You have at your fingerprint or at your uh, fingertips, uh, DNI professionals at most of the campuses that you are serving. Pull them in, um, pull in the people from your multicultural centers, ask them to come to your, uh, to your uh, housing facilities, to your properties, and to hold conversations there with those students. When I was looking um, at our center's attendance and just looking at the breakdown of who was swiping into our area and who wasn't, uh, most of the students who were minorities were commuters. So they were coming from our local um, off-campus facilities. And that was an, a project that we were about to start is like, okay, how can we get to these you know, communities and start offering services there? So just know that you have just a wealth of information and resources uh, that are on the campuses that you serve, utilize them, bring them on your, on your property and hold uh, some tough conversations. Mm -hmm. And I'm also learning that, you know, those same university officials, um, you know, as much as being on the outside of the university, kind of looking into like how they're structured, you know, we have a tendency to, I guess, be afraid of stepping foot on the campus because we don't want to, I guess, offend or we don't want to, um, I guess, like come come on the campus too headstrong. But I'm also learning that those on campus, um, you know, like professionals, they want to and they've been searching for how to reach out, but they just don't know how. And so 
one of the beautiful things at the University of South Carolina is that they actually have an off-campus housing department that facilitates those relationships for us. And they kind of point us in the right direction so that we don't necessarily have to feel as if, okay, you know, like, would I be wrong in sending this email or, you know, can I like deliver this basket of goodies, you know, I'm like to learn who yeah. this person is. Um, but you're right. Finding and understanding those resources and bringing those resources to the student. I've noticed that when, um, you know, when students, when they live on campus for a year or two and then they transition, you know, off campus, there's a tendency to where they're kind of left alone and they're kind of like, you know, sequestered out until or if they kind of rise to the occasion to want to attend something on campus. And so, you know, part of my goal is to try to bring that on-campus experience to the off-campus experience. And just, you know, as I was preparing for, you know, like this moment to speak, I began to think about, you know, the projections of the days of, you know, social events as far as the pool parties, the pizza parties, and, you know, the things to really get people, you know, like rocking and rolling at your, you know, like at your party property, I believe that students are a little more hungry for events that have substance. And so it brings me back to, you know, how I program as far as being focused on, um, you know, a module that's called house. And a part of that house programming module is pretty much a foundation and a structure as far as, you know, H standing for holistic programming, O standing for open-mindedness programming, U standing for uh, unity centered, um, you know, programming, um, S standing for service, uh, learning, and then E standing for, um, everyday skills. And so being more intentional about how we program, being more focused about how we program and not just assuming that, okay, well, the only time that residents want to come out is if we serve food, that's not necessarily the case. I believe that, you know, and I think, Wes, um, I believe that we were, you know, speaking about this um, as far as like an awakening, um, you know, that students are now, um, I guess, walking in and being able to serve that awakening um, and, you know, in feeding their minds. And we do have a responsibility in our programming to make sure that they have everything that they need, not just, you know, like the fun events, because that can also be a part of unity, you know, as far as social, bringing everybody together. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to shy away from those tough programming. You know, it could be anywhere from, you know, let's say mental health or, you know, sexual abuse or sexual assault, you know, looking at the calendar and understanding Women's History Month, you know, um, you know, just there's all kinds of things that we can incorporate on our properties to still make fun for, um, you know, that social aspect, but bringing all students or as many students and residents into one center to that clubhouse, um, you know, to build a better sense of community, I feel as if is, you know, it's going to be very important um, coming up in August. And I think that a lot of um, off-campus uh, managers are going to be in for a rude awakening when, you know, nobody really wants to show up for those pizza parties anymore without yeah. understanding what's actually going to be mentioned at this pizza party. Or if there's going to be a pool party, okay, all right, I can go to the pool, but what else are you doing about this? I believe that the next generation of students and graduates, they are a little more concerned about things that are taking place in this world and they want to do something about it. I was very shocked when I had one of my community assistants. She was very gung-ho about recycling. She was like, Terrence, I love the community, but you need a recycling bin on the property. You need to have one. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, I'm not alone. I want to recycle. 
can you do something <laughs> about it? But she was very passionate about that. And so I said, okay, well, if you're speaking to me about this and, you know, if you're telling me that there's other residents, you know, that also want to recycle, then you know what? I'll look into seeing if that's possible, you know, but it just kind of opened up my eyes again to really kind of catching the heartbeat of the community. Wow. There's more than, you know, several residents that also want to recycle and that's important to them. And so I have a responsibility to make sure that I'm catering to that demographic of my community. It's not just one track. And and again, I I just wanted to make sure for those that aren't, that aren't seeing this on, on video form. Uh, again, that acronym was, was house and, and that's a, the house module for resident programming. H is for holistic. O is for open minded mindedness. U is for unity and S is for service learning. And then E everyday skills. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like I stand by that. And, you know, it's like a template. If you're ever stuck about what events to actually program, then I go back to that house module and I tell my team and I said, okay, let's sit down and let's strategize this out for the month or for the week. You know, what does our programming, you know, like one, what are the objectives? You know, um, is it just because we want to do it because, you know, the standard says that we need to program three times a month or once a week? Um, Are we concerned about our number count or are we actually concerned about um, the educational component of why we program? Because one, Residence Life teaches us is that we want to be able to pull those people together and we're pulling them together from all various um, experiences because they learn from one another. Just like today, we're all learning from one another as well. So essentially today, like we're building kind of like a little community as far as all being centered around, um, you know, this topic of discussion. And so we've got to be more intentional and more more focused on why we're programming and what we're programming for. I would even, I would even um, say in, in simplest ways, a lot of properties have um, started putting up like more screens in their lobbies. You know, it, it looks nicer. It's a better way to get out information. Um, look at what you're putting. Yeah. Look at what you're putting on those screens. Um, if you are able to do maybe a, a rolling art exhibit or something like that, that features like Women's History Month, uh, features topics related to that on a screen for people to see just when you're walking through. That makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some great ideas um, and, and some uh, good resources as well, uh, Quan, because I, I don't know that everyone thinks about, um, you know, both the, DNI office on campus, as well as other things that are in, in the community. Um, I, I want to, you know, talk a bit more about communication because um, I've seen a lot of, um, I've seen a lot of things um, that have resulted in managers being fired um, in, in the past couple of weeks because of things that were said um, uh inadvertently, I guess is the best way of putting it, um, on social media that led to, um, uh, you know, led to, to operators having to, to rethink, you know, is this the, you know, is this going to cause an issue for us? Um, you know, as it relates to, to our residents, um, because the residents saw it on social media, it wasn't on a, 
um, the incidents that I'm aware of didn't happen on, you know, property, social media, um, the handles or, or pages or anything like that. Um, and then on the, you know, on the other side, I've heard, um, you know, from, from both managers who are people of color as well as, um, as well as, you know, managers that are white that, um, they're, they're really kind of afraid uh, <laughs> of how to communicate with um, uh, both in a, in a formal setting as well as just, you know, face-to-face. Um, wondering if you guys have, uh, you know, some, uh, maybe it's something as simple as icebreakers or maybe it's, uh, you know, love for it to be another um, fantastic uh, um acronym that you can throw out there, Terrence, that everybody can remember really quick um, as they, you know, have these conversations. But, um, uh, you know, even, even when it comes to putting up notices on, on doors, I've heard from managers saying, I, I don't see anything wrong with this, but, you know, my, my property has had incidents of, of um, uh, looting and, and that type of thing. Um, these were, you know, mixed use properties with retail on the front. And so there had to be notices that were going out, letting, you know, residents be aware of, of, um, you know, things that they were expecting and they were really afraid to send it out. They didn't know if it may, you know, invoke more, um, uh, more anger. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that we um, have to be stronger in um, in our thinking as far as making those steps and not being afraid to have the conversation. I think that we can have certain conversations without offense. Um, I think that we assume the offense before the offense actually happens. Um, I think that especially off campus, I think our, our students and our residents that we serve, they want to be able to hear from us um, you know, in a certain way. I also feel, um, you know, the stress and the frustration of my off-campus colleagues as far as making sure that we walk that fine line of fair housing and just making sure that, okay, all right, I don't want to step over that line because I don't necessarily want to, um, you know, have a fair housing, you know, suit um, on my hands. But I think that there is a way to have certain conversations without having to cross those lines. And I think sometimes we think that it's all about what we're seeing without thinking about what the student and the resident needs to say. And maybe we just need to just listen and just let them just kind of air how they're feeling again, you know, like how we started off, you know, like this segment. And I mentioned about, you know, that listening aspect, um, you know, really listening in from our community members and really listening in from our residents and really maybe having like a town hall to where we say, Hey, you know what, this week, at the end of the week or whatever date is convenient, you know, like that we agree upon, I would love to be able to hear from you. And I know that I'm good about, you know, like having these, I call them like these manager, like cocktail receptions, not really serving cocktails, but just taking a pause in my day to where I'm not answering the phone. I'm not answering email. I'm out in the middle of my clubhouse so that residents and my team see that, okay, he is available. He is approachable. And that, you know, I can have those conversations. I'm not behind my desk. You don't have to feel threatened to approach me. Um, 
I mean, like I wear a hat, you know, I mean, like there's different <laughs> things that I try to like make sure that like they know that like they can approach me. And I'm very like conscious and aware about that um, so that residents and students or whomever is coming into the clubhouse that they feel, I guess, a little less threatened, you know, to approach and to have those conversations. But again, I do believe we can have those conversations. I think that we just have to make at least a step towards, um, you know, certain conversations that I think our residents, I think will be shocked that they've been waiting for us to have with them. Absolutely. Gotcha. Um, Terrence, I am, I'm so glad that you reiterated that point of listening. I think that will be so key in this next season is just listening to our students and listening to the residents, um, understanding what it is they're trying to say, what their needs are, um, that'll help guide action and, and guide the, the tone of, of the environment. Uh, I would also just like to add, um, reiterate your anti-discriminatory policies and encourage them to make use of their leadership resources like Terrence was, you know, stating, you know, he's out there in the lobby. He's making sure that people see him and know that he's there. Um, don't be afraid to send out a friendly email when you're welcoming, you know, your, your students to come back and, and having your new residents join you to let them know that you have a safe environment, um, that there are resources available to them, and that you are here to serve them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And even, um, you know, some things that we have started to do is that, um, well, not start to do, but, you know, things that we've uh, implemented um, at the property that I manage is that, you know, each person that moves in, you know, they get that courtesy call, they get that check-in call to say, hey, I'm just calling to follow up about your move-in. How are things going? How are you be, uh, becoming acclimated to your roommates or, you know, like to the unit? Is there anything else that I can do for you? Um, you know, not just saying, hey, you signed the lease and now you're in and I don't ever have to see you again. Um, I always get worried about the residents that I don't hear from. I'm okay with the yeah. residents that I hear from. You can scream at me. You can curse me out all day long, <laughs> even though it does wear on my spirit and my body. However, it's the, it's the residents that I do not hear from that I'm concerned about because, you know, I don't know where their mind is. I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know if they have a certain level of anxiety or stresses that maybe I'm not focused on. What if they are having roommate issues that they're just maybe afraid to you know, to talk about, um, like maybe they're ashamed about the things that they're going through, you know, and so those residents that are a little more vocal, okay, all right, at least you're expressing yourself and you're getting it out. I'm, I'm good with you. But the ones that I'm not hearing from at all, I really worry about. And so I may take a pause in the week to, you know, shoot a text message, you know, like from our texting platform, I may um, take a pause to send an email or to make a phone call or even to the parent to say, hey, I haven't heard from, you know, such and such in a couple of days. You know, I'm just checking in to see, you know, how things are going. Um, you know, just let me know if you need me to, you know, like go to the apartment just to kind of see about them. And, you know, again, those are all things that help overall with resident retention, but it's also just being, you know, human as far as like building upon those relationships, not just building the relationship because you want the lease on or you want the renewal, but just seeing that relationship all the way through. If I see you in Walmart or if I see you in Food Lion, I'm going to throw my hand up and I'm going to wave and I'm going to, hey, how are you? How's it going? Even if they may not speak back, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. 
but at the same time, at least they know, oh, man, like he knows who I am outside of the community, um, you know, like that I live on. Okay. All right. And then what I see is that after that interaction in Walmart and they may not have spoken, they'll speak when they see me in the office now. It's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, okay, well, dang, that's all it took. <laughs> and that and that proactive those proactive measures that that proactive action can prevent you having to do de-escalation later yeah and having to fix situations later so when you are keeping a good pulse on your community when you are making sure to check in um then you're preventing you you know, having to go in and mediate between two, you know, quad mates or, or, or roommates who are, you know, just at it. And, and at that mm-hmm. point, at wits ends with one another. Um, and, and definitely you don't want a situation where maybe they have uh, filed a harassment claim against their roommate or something like that with the institution. And then the institution is, is contacting you, asking questions. You c- those proactive measures can help prevent all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we move on to the, to the roommate neighbor um, uh, conflict, um, I want to talk, (laughs) I want to talk really quick um, just about, uh, um, you know, building bridges with, with the police department. Um, Mm -hmm. Terrence, you and I, uh, you know, we, we had, um, I've got four kids and still don't have enough fingers and toes in my family to, uh, to count all of the you know times that, that we met with the, um, with the Greensboro police department and, and, and just for my proactive nature, um, and, and, uh, you know, from a community standpoint of, um, you know, policing that neighborhood and, um, and really from a standpoint of, of community policing as much as, as much as possible. And, um, you know, the, the, um, uh, <laughs> you know, you, we always talk about take the temperature of the room when you walk in. Right. And, um, uh, right now, you know, is it, is it the smart thing to do to have, community events, uh, you know, in which you're bringing in, um, those community police officers. Um, Absolutely. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I guess really quick, what I would say is, you know, it's important that if you are going to bring officers in that you think about the context in which you're doing it and in the way that you're doing it, maybe not bring them in in their uniform, maybe bring in plain clothes officers or um, bring in people who, you know, maybe are at a higher level within the, the police unit to speak to not only how they plan to serve that community, but what they are doing in a larger sense within, within their, um, their local jurisdiction to serve that community and to ensure equity within within their environment and for their community members that they're entrusted to serve. I also would just add, if you are property that's close to campus, build a great relationship with the campus police and campus yes. security. They are um, another great resource as well. 
uh, they're more familiar with dealing with that particular demographic day in and day out. And if they're willing to, and if they're able to, they would more than likely be the better resource to go to before going to your local law enforcement. Or if your property has um, a courtesy officer or a resource officer that's living on site, um, I think that it's important that if if your community is going to have, you know, that uh, that presence at your community, the residents need to know who that person is, not just when, you know, something happens. But now would be the time to, one, have that conversation with your courtesy officer, um, with your resource officer, bring them into the office and, and have that one-on-one with them, um, listen to maybe some of the concerns that they may have, you know, like what are they seeing or, you know, or hearing um, like when they're doing their patrols at night, really understanding, um, you know, like what it is they do on a day-to-day or from a night-to-night and then trying to figure out a way to either reintroduce them to the community or, you know, build upon um, like what that officer has already, um, you know, experienced at the community. Um, our courtesy officer, he um, was also a university police officer. Everybody knows him and they knew him because why he gave the freshman presentation. So when they saw Officer Adams, oh my God, it's Officer Adams, there he is. <laughs> and so like we had a different feel at, at our community because we had somebody that the students were familiar with they trusted him. They leaned on him uh, for advice. Um, you know, they felt comfortable with him coming, I guess, to their rescue or to their aid um, if they had any issues. Um, and so I think that, you know, other other off-campus housing uh, communities, if you have those officers, make sure that you have those meetings and that you, um, you know, introduce or reintroduce um, that officer to the community in the right way, um, you know, to where those residents feel as if they can trust that officer. And I think that if, um, if the community um, does not trust that officer, I think that, you know, as, as, as property managers, we should also take ear to that and we should understand why the community does not trust that officer. And maybe it might be time to switch it up. Maybe it might be time to find, you know, the right officer that can serve the community that you need um, that officer to actually do for you. Because, you know, we could be wrong. Maybe we stepped on a property that always had that officer there. And, you know, because it just came along with, you know, like what fell in our lap, we just, hey, if it's not broke, let's not fix it. But, you know, listening in again to our residents, if the residents are saying, hey, this is what is actually happening when you're leaving the office at five o'clock or six o'clock. I really need you to pay attention to this. I think that it's worth looking into because, you know, what we're finding is that there are officers that are out there that may not have the best intention and they may say the wrong thing. They may be doing the wrong thing. They may have other stresses or, you know, like things that are going on that they may just either make a mistake or, you know, didn't mean to say, or maybe they meant to say it, but at least, um, you know, letting the community know that we are paying attention and that we're also understanding what their needs are from that point of view. Gotcha. So I want to get on to, um, you know, what, what, what happens when everything you've done to be proactive, um, you know, still didn't prevent something from happening or, um, maybe you weren't proactive. Now all of a sudden you found yourself <laughs> with, 
with a conflict between, you know, be it roommates or, or neighbors, and, you know, Terrence, you've, you've got a fabulous background um, in, in res life as with counseling. And I've personally seen you diffuse some, some heated disputes uh, between roommates. Yes. <laughs> yeah, your property in Columbia houses students from, from both USC as well as Benedict College, which is, you know, uh, an HBCU institution. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have had discussions about conflicts that um, you've tried to mitigate over the past couple of years between students. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily even, a, um, you know, a white student from USC and a black student from, from Benedict. It could be, you know, two black students from um, from each of those universities that may have some, you know, different, different opinions, right. Um, and a different background, certainly. Um, at first I, I want to ask you, are, are you concerned that, um, these, you know, that there's going to be roommate and neighbor conflicts that may erupt this year at your property due to, um, uh, due to the events from the spring, I shouldn't say at your property specifically, but you know, are you are you fearful of that within student housing this year? Um, I don't necessarily want to use the word uh, fearful or concerned. I think that we should always be prepared um, for you know, like roommate conflict, whether it's around race or whether it's because your boyfriend comes over too much or you're not taking out the trash. I think we should always be prepared to have those, you know, tough conversations. Um, I think even more so now, um, you know, we have to ready ourselves for um, if your roommate placements have already gone out, making sure that your leasing manager or, you know, or or whomever is um, in charge of your room placements, really understanding that roommate uh, application and those preferences, um, really understanding, okay, why are we, you know, like placing certain people together um, without without violating fair housing, but, you know, really kind of testing the temperature of your applicants and, you know, like remembering again, if you know your residents, if you know your prospects and you remember, you know, like that experience and those interactions, you know, then it, you know, it makes the placement better um, to where you don't have to be as fearful or as concerned uh, because you realize who the people that you're placing, you're like specifically placing them based on those interactions and those preferences of what will suit best in that particular unit. And I think that's what, um, you know, has made, um, you know, the community that I manage, you know, like successful is that, you know, we have the ability to just kind of like, I guess, step into that and, you know, and establish that relationship from the beginning um, and remembering those conversations and remembering those interactions to where, you know, we feel, you know, somewhat confident in saying, okay, this should be good. But of course, you're going to have those roommate conflicts to where, you know, they're not going to see eye to eye. And of course, you know, the roommate placement emails have gone out and you're going to, you know, get those phone calls to where you're going to have um, a future resident say, hey, I need my roommate placement switched. Why? Like, what's wrong? Well, I looked them up on Facebook or I looked them up on Instagram or my friend is connected with them on Snapchat and I just don't like what I see. I don't think this is going to work out. What do you mean this is not going to work out? And then they begin to proceed by just continuing to say it's just not going to work out. I've just seen some things that it's just not going to work. And so you wonder, okay, 
what really is driving this, you know, and you're really wanting them to say what you think um, is the problem. But of course, you know, you can't drive them to, you know, like to say something that they're not going to say, um, you know, but you're right. Uh, you know, there's going to be some conflict, um, you know, like between where someone was raised, what their experience has been, what they believe their preferences are. But I believe that we should at least try at least once. And especially having that residence life background is, hey, like, what's the problem here? Like, how can how can I help you come to the table? How can I help you meet this person in the middle um, to understand where this other person is coming from so that we can try to move, you know, like in another direction, not separately, but together. So I try my best to salvage each and every roommate conflict without transfer, if I can, um, because I think it's- Because you're 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, I really try, you know, like to really like give it that honest effort and really understand like, okay, one, I don't like dealing with, you know, the, you know, just the backlog of transferring and, you know, that's a lot within itself. But, you know, I, I tell- my residents when I'm trying to mediate a situation that if you're not able to mediate this conflict because your roommate does not wash the dishes every night after they cook, what's going to happen when you are in a relationship with a partner or someone that has maybe worse habits than your roommates? How are you going to communicate that to them? How are you going to communicate to your coworker or your boss that, you don't really see eye to eye or you can't really understand why they do things a certain way. Are you going to put sticky notes over the entire office? (laughs) Put sticky notes, um, you know, like to your spouse over the house and not speak to them for a week. Are you going to feud over the thermostat? Um, my readings between 72 degrees versus 73 degrees. Um, but I'm also learning that, the, you know, the way that residents communicate, you know, it's very surface-like and, and really taking the time to really understand what's um, underneath the surface, what's fueling this, like what's happening. Okay, it's not just about 72 degrees versus 73 degrees. It's, um, it's a matter of differences from experiences and, you know, and also preferences, you know, the perspectives that they have, you know, why do you feel like the dishes need to be washed every night? You know, or why do you feel as if, you know, having like friends over from, um, you know, a Bible study group, you know, is offenses, uh, offensive to you, you know? And so really understanding um, just the why of that, um, you know, helps me mediate through um, a lot of those roommate conflicts. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the Terrence, thank you so much. Um, the only thing that I would add on to that is, um, Again, don't be afraid to knock on the university you serve's door. Um, You know, they have tons and tons of resources. I think Terrence kind of alluded to this aspect earlier of maybe being afraid to reach out to the community. But um, I know that similar to what was mentioned earlier, um, our institution and many other institutions do have off-campus or commuter offices that can help you with that, uh, that communication. And then um, furthermore, a lot of uh, offices um, or a lot of campuses have offices uh, that exist to assist with mediation. And so if it is something deeper that maybe they really do need some more help with, don't be afraid to reach out. 
Um, this is, you know, student affairs professionals. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them don't do it for the money. They do it because they care for <laughs> the students, you know. So um, use the resources that are that are at your fingertips. Don't try and reinvent the wheel, but um, also be uh, willing to go deeper with them because it is true. A lot of students only want to talk on the surface. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and I think it, it does vary university to university. I, I wish I could say every university has that mentality um, of wanting to help. And I'm not saying that the individuals don't, but um, I've certainly run into issues where it, um, the university doesn't necessarily want to take on some additional liability. Yeah. Um, especially if there is a non-student that may be part of the issue. Um, but it's, um, but the overwhelming majority, uh, you know, are willing to, to step in, um, certainly. So guys, we, we are like 15 minutes over from <laughs> what we originally conversation. planned and yeah, and no. And I think there's going to be, you know, more like this and, mm -hmm. and I, I really appreciate, um, you know, you guys, taking the extra time and, and, and taking the time today to, to, um, to be a part of it. Um, uh, Quan, I, I'm, I know you're still in the, um, job search and I, I'm telling you, man, there are folks in the off campus privatized world <laughs> that need folks like you. Um, and I would say if, if, if you are a, um, if you, if you work in, in student housing or if you're a university faculty or faculty or staff member and, and you've heard Quan's story and, and you know that there's a, there's a need for that in your organization or your institution, Quan has got a, a fantastic LinkedIn page. I would suggest that you go there to, to connect with him because I don't want to give out your personal email address <laughs> on something that's going to be on YouTube, but certainly, uh, certainly reach out to him with a, with a DM on LinkedIn. And you've got some great content that, that you're posting there too, as far as, you know, what's, what's kind of related to what's going on in Lynchburg right now. And I uh, love following you there. Um, is there anywhere else that I know you're involved also with uh, Many Voices, One Community, which is a specific to, to Lynchburg and you're a board member there. Uh, if someone's in that area and they want to get more information about MVOC, where, where's a good location or where's a good place for them to yeah, they can find out more just, info? They can just email us at mvocva at gmail.com and we can you know, meet with them and help them answer questions about the Lynchburg area. If they want to get plugged into our community, we would love it. We welcome it. Uh, and we look forward to those uh, different collaborations. Well, perfect. Well, guys, take care. I appreciate it so much. And to, uh, to the, to the few of those attendees that are still left watching this live, um, thank you for, for um, attending today. I think, I hope that you found, it very um, informative and hopefully um, gives you a little bit more confidence with what is ahead for you for this next year, be it for your property or your portfolio. Mm -hmm.